Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I am thrilled that Hank Green is here today. And partially because I, I rarely have somebody on the show who means so much to my kids who are, you know, my grown kids, um, the women I work with on Billions the most closely, um, Rose and Ayana, who are, one's a writer's room assistant and the other's a future a director, but is also an assistant who are 25 and um, incredibly, these are some of the brightest people I know. And, you know, I could be interviewing um, a movie star or a rock star and they're like, yeah, hey, yeah, whatever. And I say Hank Green and they're like, I have 17 questions. <laughs> and, uh, which is really great because um, Hank Green and his brother started the Vlog Brothers. Uh, and the Vlog Brothers was this incredible thing. Hank, I'm, I'm sure you hear this from people my age all the time, but, you know, suddenly the answer from my daughter Anna to something I would say is, well, the Vlog Brothers see it differently. And uh, that's really not how that happened, Dad. I'm, I'm sure you're, wow. you like Christopher Columbus, but let me explain what really <laughs> happened historically. And, um, but, you know, you expressed this stuff in a way that engaged people um, and treated young people like grownups in all the best ways and in none of the wrong ways. And yeah. it, that was immediately clear. Uh, since then... Uh, if you don't know Hank, his influence on the popular culture is really great Be because the people who are taking over the culture were weaned on on him. He's uh, writes these uh, terrific sci-fi novels. The, the newest one is A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. Uh, what was Vlogbrothers has turned into, in a way, SciShow Crash Course. Uh, you can find him on, on YouTube. His TikTok, I recently re-encountered you, Hank, because... Uh, your TikToks are so great for so many reasons to me, mostly for your openness and curiosity and the way you don't take yourself seriously, but you take me to talk about seriously. And and um, I find your place in society incredibly compelling. And so thanks for taking the time to be here today. I appreciate that. And all of that stuff, um, though it, I shouldn't say it out loud, kind of rings true, which makes me feel really good that you kind of get it because uh, it's easy not to get it. Um, and also like, I, you know, sometimes I, you know, I, in whatever we do, it's easy to sort of like day to day minimize it and, and think like, hey, you know, it's just a job. But but yeah, the the responsibility is big and uh, and we have taken it as such, which isn't always the case with people who make the kind of content that we do though we came into it as adults like i made my first youtube video when i was 27 i was married i had uh i didn't have a house but i was you know i was like i'd had a career uh, a bit right. and uh and that is certainly not the case for a lot of people who sort of get into this when they're in their teenage years and and part of what is really compelling is that they are you know uh they 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 are not super constrained by uh, what society wants of them, which can sometimes be good, uh, but it can sometimes be kind of destructive. Well, sure. And also when you're 28 and married and not just 28 and married, but sort of have the underpinnings that you had intellectually mm -hmm. familial familiarly too, uh, the, the perquisites that are suddenly on offer to you, while some like money and stability are appealing, they are not um, as uh, they're not necessarily going to derail you in the way that they can derail right. other people. Right. right. Yeah. I also I have a I, I have um, my wife is very much didn't sign up for this kind of person. Right. And yes. uh, and and there is a real re there's a there's a real reality to the fact that like our life is different now because because like people will come up to us a lot in public and the you know she she just walks away and i think like what i want everybody to feel is like that's normal when a stranger comes to talk to you in public the normal thing is to be like i'm not doing that because like her relationship with them doesn't exist but my relationship does and like i'm fine with her walking away and i think that it's important for us like as we enter this world where more and more people have this kind of micro fame that we get better at understanding how to interface with it, both on the internet and in real life, and uh, yeah, and so so it's, it is interesting to to watch my uh, other parts of my family be like, oh, so like we kind of don't get privacy in the same way as a lot as like normal people. 
Right. And I imagine also the asynchronous nature in, partic in, in particular for you with segments of your audience must have taken some getting used to because your content is presented in a very intimate way. And although it is not designed to reveal, it does reveal. And that must also create, as I say, some kind of uh, asynchronous relationship. Yeah, it's very, very much. And this is the thing that like was so weird for me. And it's not like I don't like it. It's not like I think it's bad. I think it can be bad. I think it can be good. But I think that we haven't thought about it. Because it used to be, you know, th there was a time when Bing Crosby's radio show was listened to by 60, 70% of Americans. Like that's how monolithic fame was. And it is since then, like literally since Bing Crosby stopped having a radio show or since the height of that, that show, um, it, it's been a process of fracturing that fame into smaller and smaller bits, which I think is good. Is it like it makes the the creative um, professions more accessible, and it means more people can have those professions, and more people make fifty thousand dollars a year, and fewer people make five hundred. I'm like, I'm I'm okay with that. And the uh, uh, but it it is something that was weird enough, and I didn't think that we'd thought about it enough. That's literally why I wrote the first book, uh, because I just like I wanted to. And like April is younger than me when she first gets famous. She's not super young. She's like 23 when she has her like viral moment. And right. Um, and this sort the of first like book was is about that. an end. The, the first book was about an, and as someone who uh, deals with the uh, the trauma of becoming an internet famous at a young yeah. age. Yes. Yeah. And and like and how like wonderful but awful it is and how like and she gets to make all the terrible decisions that I don't make and. And I kind of get to like live that life a little bit through her because there are pieces of me that wanted to make all those bad decisions. Sure, of course, because you're human. Yeah, and I, I want to be, I want to get bigger. I want to have more attention and that never fills you all the way up. And like, uh, so so to, to have that be a path through which to examine my own relationship with it, but also to like lay it bare for everybody else that this isn't what you think it is. It isn't nice the way you think it is. And also like individual regular humans in your life it's really hard for them to compete with the adoration of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Yes, uh, of course, that's true. I, you made me think of many different things. One of which is, while it's true, well, because you're raising, I mean, you're really raising questions in a way to, um, about the price and benefit of this kind of engagement, this kind yeah. of intimate fame. You say mm -hmm. microfame, but the truth is, yes, more people can make $50,000 touring with their acoustic guitar and fewer people can make 500000 But also a lot of people can make $5 million now and can make $5 yeah. million by having a segment of the world that mm -hmm. loves them. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's a, a very deep well that people we can drill now in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, that produces a lot of oil. You just don't need to cover a huge field. Right. You can just get a yeah. deep well. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's actually very exciting. But like, the, yeah, so April talks about this where she's like working through her own fame and she she says like, fame is not one thing. It is, first of all, it's not something that you have any any control over. Like the person, it's like, if I'm beautiful, like if I'm attractive, I kind of know that looking in the mirror. Like not like as effectively as, but like with fame, it's really just in the person looking at you. The only person who knows whether you're famous is the person who's experiencing you. And there are gonna be 99 people who walk by you in the airport and then the hundredth like falls to their knees and starts crying. And like that, so like this, this becomes like fame is at, at the very least two different things. It's the number of people who have some awareness of you are, and it's the, the sort of like level of interest and uh, appreciation and, and like adoration. They have. But, but I want to go deeper with one part of this, which is the, I had this question written down to ask you later, but it, your kind of connection to your audience, to segments of your audience, mm -hmm. where you were the thing that got them out of their house and to get themselves to I mean, you must get these letters constantly where you can actually see 
And you may tell yourself, well, someone else would have come along. But where you can actually see this person was in a fucked up situation at home. I gave them a reason to think about certain things. I gave them a path. They got to college. You've had enough years of this now where, and now they're working at X and they've saved, they've changed the trajectory of their familial legacy. And I imagine that that comes with, unlike other kinds of, you know, unlike uh, Addison Ray's fame on the internet, I imagine that that comes with some solemnity from you for sure. that connection, or does it not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like the, the parsing how I feel about it is hard, um, and also it's like it's really internal and not, and, and I think personal, like I, I even have a hard time talking about it with my wife because like to her, it feels like, okay, so there's this very important thing to you other than me. Great. Tell me all about it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> that, that was like, never, uh, never did I ask you to create, um, the, but yeah, the, that has like, I've always imagined it like my best professors who are like, give yes. me not just, information but motivation and guidance and um and tell me what the future could be and tell me what the world could be like and tell me what i could be like all these things are uh i don't know i think there there are some sometimes kind of closed questions until you reach and my audience isn't like teenage years anymore they've kind of aged with that's me, what i'm but, saying yeah that's what i'm yeah, saying there yeah that, that they but like at that, that point in teenagehood where you're like your your eyes are first opening to like the world doesn't have to be the way that it is. I don't have to be the way that I am. No one has to be the way that anybody is. And you're like, and it's terrifying. Um, but like having somebody there for that moment is pretty important. But I guess I just want to say, ask this. This is a way to ask. And I understand what you were saying about the internal parts of it. And also, uh, I, I understand uh, what you're talking about when you talk about your family and your wife. But I, I also imagine that uh, your wife is a, a, understands because obviously you yeah. wouldn't have married and cared. Understands the impact that you do have and yes. must be very deeply proud of that. Also, I, I just don't want yeah. you to leave the Im other impression necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's actually in the community. It's sort of a joke. Like she also makes content with me, and um, yeah, and everybody sort of recognizes that. Uh, when it comes down to it, Catherine is actually significantly funnier than me, uh, sure. but she just doesn't, yeah. she doesn't like to perform the, in the same spaces I like to perform in. But I guess what I'm asking is, okay, I can give you an example. There was this one teacher at my school who told me this story years later. He had been a headmaster somewhere and he one night had too much to drink and he was falling down asleep in the car and his, his wife was worried about driving. She had, she needed him to help see the road. She was driving. She hadn't had any to drink. And she couldn't get him to sit up. And then finally she said, Frank, some of your students are over there. And he sat up bolt straight yeah. because yeah. of the obligation. And I guess what I yeah. want to ask you about is how that lives in you. That idea of uh, not moral rectitude, it's impossible, but the idea of uh, uh, still living the example that you're selling and how you deal with that, how you fence, how you fence with that. This, I mean, I mean, you, I don't like how easily you put your finger on like the main tension of my life, but like the, the reality is that not so like it, there are parts of it that are easy. Like ultimately a barista might know that I'm Hank Green. And so I'm going to, and so like, is that going to be part of me like treating them extra well? Maybe, but also like, I don't want to be a type of person who's mean to a service worker. Like this person is doing something for me. Um, and so like, there's a bit of a politicianiness to it where I feel a little bit phony sometimes where like, I feel like crap, but I might turn on the high beams a little bit to, to make people sure. just in case somebody around knows who I am, but there's a deeper part of it, which is harder, which is that there are things that I disagree with my audience about. I'm on, on average, like 10 years older than them. Yeah. So I like lived in a slightly different world than they did. I, um, I also like, you know, I, I, I have experienced the world differently. I've experienced especially business differently. Like a lot of my audience is pretty staunchly um, freaked out about capitalism in a way that like I certainly am not happy about how every corporation in America makes decisions. I think that, it, that incentives can be very bad and that regulation is very necessary. But at the same time, like I think private property is a good idea. Um, and so like there is a, uh, you know, like, like, a, like a certain amount of, 
my my like existence in the world isn't to try and like live my exact truth at every moment right especially publicly and like i don't need that because like what like i would be i would be doing so much harm to be like well actually i believe this when like first of all what i believe changes all the time so that's yes. very different from what I believed 10 years ago and like, and certainly deeply different from what I believed 20 years ago where I was basically an anarchist. And right. then, so like to, so, so to, to sort of like come out and be like, oh, you'll grow out of it or something awful like that, where it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what now looks like to a person yeah. who's 20 years old. I don't know what now looks like to a person who isn't like a rich white guy like I am. I don't know. And and so like I, I'm here to I, I sort of like imagine that I have pretty specific lanes and that like the idea that I would come out of those lanes to fight for something that I'm not even that like I'm always very aware that I might be wrong. And there's not really anything where I'm like, well, I'm definitely right about this and all the other people in the world are wrong about it. And so I'm going to fight for it. Where I've seen that among people who have really big audiences and they kind of spoil themselves for their audiences because they convince themselves of like one thing that they think is a tremendous injustice that they very well might be wrong about and that their whole audience thinks they're wrong about. But they're, they feel like the, the necessary thing for their, to do with their power and privilege is to fight for this one battle. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think I'm here to be like uh, a useful, uh, like, in, in th- like enthusiastic guide to not like any particular outcome of investigating the world, but for the process of investigating the world. Well, that's, I would say, uh, again, you've made me think about 10 things, but I would say, actually, you do have, you do stand on a pole, polemically. You do stand on a pole, and that oh, yeah. pole is for investigating the world and yeah. for curiosity and for learning. I would also say, um, Mark Andreessen said something to me. I've gotten to spend like a good amount of time with him in my life. And, you know, he's like the smartest person in the world in certain ways. And, 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 and he, uh, that, that doesn't mean um, I agree with Mark on all politics or anything <laughs> not, like that. Not in, ev- not in every way, but in not, certain Not in every way, but he's in some ways like the smartest person in the whole... You could make the argument. One could make the argument that he's among the smartest people in the <laughs> depending world. Depending on what your goals are. Yeah. Sure, depending on what your goals are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, though we couldn't do that. We wouldn't be able to do this without him. So like if he didn't invent Mosaic and Netscape... Like he, I would just say he invented Mosaic and Netscape, which if you take yeah. all the rest of it out is already like... Right. Just such an insane thing to have accomplished. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, in a, in a way, uh, you know, it's like building the, it's like coming up with the idea of roads. Um, but I mean, it really is. That's yeah. what he did. Yeah. It's weird. But uh, it's a weird thing. We can't even, honestly, it's hard to process what he did. I don't want to get off on that. But, but, but here's what's so great about what Mark said. And it, it speaks to this thing of depending on what you care about. Mark said, people must understand because I speak um, with such um, um, certainty but in fact, what's going on is I have strong opinions weekly held. And he said, and that is the key. Mm-hmm. He's like, strong opinions weekly held allows me to know where I stand and to be willing at any given moment at the right evidence to completely shift where I stand um, as I take in new information. And I think that's incredibly valuable. I don't know that I would do it that way. I don't know that like, so like, I, I definitely see Mark having these strong opinions weekly held. But like in the strength of the opinion, uh, acting in ways where I'm just like, dude, you got to you got to turn it down two two notches, because like, what if you're wrong, though? And I don't know, like at the same time, like obviously there is like it it depends on your goals. Like he's doing a different thing than me, whereas like I am. He's not a public. He's only a public figure by um, circumstance. He's a public figure by circumstance. Well, I mean, all, that's true of everyone. <laughs> to, to all public. No, I you, guess, no, I guess, you, yeah, there are definitely people who choose it, and I guess I, I did do more choosing of it. But also, I think that he wants to be a public. He wants to have that influence. He wants to be that public figure. He and he likes to have strong opinions in his space and have people disagree with him. I think that oftentimes it's just that people sort of imagine, uh, like people. There is a there is a very big wide variety of how to engage in disagreement, and um, yes. some people can see something that is 
uh, sort of meant in fun as something that is uh, meant in sort of like anger and attack mode a little bit. Uh, yes, uh, having to do with presentational aspects. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think, right? Having to do with presentational aspects, which you think a lot about, I think, presentational aspect. I don't know what like, that is. What's form. a presentational well, aspect? Well, I would say like, like um, the way one presents their arguments. Uh, the oh, way yeah. one presents, like for instance, it, it seems clear to me that you think a lot about form as you're thinking about content. Oh, yeah. And was that always the case when you were creating this stuff? Was form, was it always oh. baked into form? No, like I don't. Well, I didn't know how to do any of this. I started like, I mean, I guess I started as a blogger in two thousand five or two thousand four, and it was really just like, um, I, like I do think that I have a sort of innate sense of what people want from a specific medium, N not like immediately, but faster than uh, than uh, than other people. Um, yes, like I can get to the idea true. of what a of what a new genre is quickly where it's like oh this doesn't exist yet or this exists and is being is changing very fast so like what is it going to be so i i have a i have i find it surprisingly easy to jump between forms where it's like you know the vast majority of the words that i have written are four minute long videos um but also i i don't have a problem uh figuring out how to compose a great tweet or a great tiktok or a, a you know hopefully great book so like which is are all very very different things but yes, but, and also I think that like content creation and education are both such tremendous acts of empathy that you have to just like really, and it gets harder as I get older. I think you have to so deeply understand where the where the consumer is at and put yourself in that place. And um, I've gotten more rigid, but also I'm I'm farther away from that place that I was in when I was. In college, how much do you really? I'm going to get back to college and earlier life in one second. But how much yeah. do you think about? I guess do you think about the audience? Is it is it more comfortable for you to think of the audience as consumers or to think of them as uh, people who need what you're going to do emotionally? Like, is it is there something about thinking them, of, of them as consumers or as an audience as a big group that's easier to kind of deal with? Because when you were think when you were when you were talking about the the thing with the barista, I was thinking about and 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 the parts of yourself that are genuine, or, or have to kind of like turn the high beams on. I was thinking about how I proselytize about journaling, like doing morning pages saved my life in many ways, like saved my life because it led me to become. I was a blocked writer until I was thirty, and then I started doing mm. morning pages, and then mm -hmm. my whole life opened up. <laughs> but there are like plenty of mornings I don't feel like doing morning pages or meditating, but I yeah. do both things every morning. And the morning pages in particular, I sometimes will literally say to myself, well, you're full of shit if you don't do morning pages, you're lying to your people. And right. if, you don't, yeah. if you don't do morning pages, you're a liar. <laughs> you don't want to think of yourself as a liar, so do the fucking morning pages. And it yeah. makes me behave. Uh, there are things that I know about my relationship with my people that make me uh, uh, kind of keep... The, even though I've never promised my, like I've never said to everybody, I promise I'm good, but I feel I've made a promise and it yeah. makes me keep it. So you yeah. must get some of that in your head, right? Oh yeah. I say all the time, um, that the, the real key to productivity is obligation. That's great. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, if I promise someone who I care about that I will do something, yeah. I will make myself miserable until I do it. Yes. And I'm pretty good at not letting the misery sort of take over um, and, and to, to do it. And I have a tremendous amount of built-in obligation to our core audience of people who are on this channel, Vlogbrothers, that we've been doing for f almost yes. 15 years now. And it's not all the same people. They come in and out. Some of them have been there the whole time. Somebody, some people watch every video, but the vast majority don't. And uh, And so like, I don't expect them to have that obligation to me. But like they're the reason I have any of this, yes. And uh, and also like I think that that obligation comes through and is a part of the success of the thing. The feeling of of like of having this uh, this this real relationship, and it comes out a couple of times a year. We actually have like specific projects where it's like a part oh, the of charity. The goal yeah, sure, for sure. To yeah, is to like re prove to everyone that like this is not something we are doing alone this like all of the things that we have done were enabled by you and yeah. we are gonna 
like we are going to cut into like the proceeds of those things and and build up um you know our 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 you know philanthropic endeavors and you, but you are also going to be a part of it and you're going to help us do that and and it also like it puts me in a frame of mind where an idea isn't a good idea this is this is cool i like this where an idea isn't a good idea unless my audience would approve of it which is totally different like like i think it's, it's people have a hard time distinguishing between like, oh, I think I've identified a problem and I've identified a solution. Like both of those things are part of an idea, but there's also lots of other pieces of an idea. Like they're, like maybe one solution can solve multiple problems. You also have to figure out how that thing's going to pay for itself. If it's going to like, if the resources aren't free. And so that's another piece of it. But I think like values are another really big part of ideas. Completely. Yes. That makes, especially in, I mean, yes, because when you were saying that thing about understanding form, uh, like, you know, Gary V has the same gift you have and yet you guys have used it entirely. It, you've used it on the surface from the Martian's point of view, you've used it the same, yeah. but in the granular way, you haven't used it the same at all. And <laughs> it's fascinating, right? You're, uh, there's almost probably um, a very little bit of crossover between your audiences, some, but little, uh-huh. yet, yet, yet um, uh, from probably a numbers impact, it's probably somewhat similar in certain ways. And it's fascinating. Yeah. How values are the difference. Not that his values right. are bad and yours are good, that the values are different is all. Right. Um, and and like Gary V ideas wouldn't work for my community. And sometimes I'm really frustrated about that. Sometimes right. I see somebody like, it's not usually Gary, but like somebody from within the YouTube community where I'm like, oh, that, was, that is an amazing idea. But my audience wouldn't support it. Like they wouldn't see it as cool because they're not into that thing or that thing. And like they also yes. like are sort of a little bit skeptical of anything that has like a, you know, profit motive, um, yes. which I understand. And also like that keeps me, that, that keeps me investigating the reality that I will not be happier if I have more money, which if I spend time only with people like Gary, or maybe even you, like other people who sort of like are at the same, uh, like in terms of, of income, like not at the same place, but in terms of like, I understand exactly uh, what you mean. People who, are, who, yes, this is one of the, you're, you're, yes, you're, exa- please say more about this. I think this is utterly fascinating and nobody talks about it. Explain this. Cause I was standing in a room recently with, um, one of the founders of Twitter and, uh, another guy who famous, I won't out this guy, another guy who'd sold his business for, who was a, like basically a guy who didn't make a lot of money and then suddenly made $50 million. And he was standing there yeah. and he admitted to me that the billionaire, this is a guy who probably made $60,000 for a lot of his life, then built a company over a couple of years, yeah. suddenly had 50 million. Yeah. And the company that he had was like basically an NPR kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he was wealthy. But then he was said to me, I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm around this billionaire and now I want that. Yeah. And it was like, so you're, what you're talking about is not allowing that mindset to come, but you're also talking about the temptation of that mindset. Oh, it's very tempting because it's all about whatever you, you are. It's all about whatever you spend the most time paying attention to. And so like, if I listen to the, like the Gary Vee's podcast, which like I sometimes will enjoy, but if it's all I listen to, I'd be like, wow, I really need to figure out how to level up my business game. And, and like, I think that like, <laughs> I think business is super important. And like, I run two businesses, I've sold two businesses and like, uh, and I'm proud of everything that they not like, not every decision we've ever made, but like the, the ultimate outcomes of all of them. And the, yeah. uh, but like I go to, I, so I went to Cannes and I had a very similar experience. I went to Cannes during the, the advertising festival, Cannes Lion, and I was there and there were all these fancy people and like there were super fancy parties and everybody was drunk and I was there with my wife and like friends who were also creators but then we'd be at parties and it'd be like so here like we are and we have this asset of like an audience and there's this person who I'm talking to and they have two billion dollars yeah yes so weird like this is like such a different asset and and ultimately like what it what it makes clear is that if I functioned in that space I would be probably very rich I don't think I'd be very happy. Like I like I'd be richer but not happier and so like the question becomes like what is it what like if I can choose what is interesting yeah. to me if I can choose what I'm passionate about what should I choose? And that be that's a much more interesting question than just like uh how yes. do I do whatever it is that is interesting to me right now?
Like, who were you as a high school freshman? Where did you fit in? Because, you know, we can imagine a lot about your brother's childhood because of what he wrote about when he did. Right, we, right. But you don't talk about it that often, or if you do, not in ways that I've encountered. So who were you as a high school freshman? Um, I was pretty... Uh, like I felt pretty ostracized. Like I wanted to be a part of a social group and I just never was. And then I finally fell in with a group of people that um, I still like, like I, I loved and like we had lots of great times, but like we were, we were self-destructive. Um, and then way? wait, in what well, way? Just, just like drugs, uh, mostly um, just the, the ways that we talked about the world, the, you know, and then, uh, when, and you, also is this like, when you were anarchic? Or were you? Was there not? No, was it like a, a ni- nihilism was, or or just like? Before, yeah, I mean, it was it was like teenage angst. Okay. Um, and then it sort of like. What then, music? Were, then, like, wait, what music? What music were you listening to when you had the teenage oh, angst? Uh, you know, Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Uh, I just uh, want to picture Marilyn Manson. I, gotta, yeah. I just want to picture the whole thing. So you were uh, a, a kid <laughs> with the affect of a kid who was yeah. di- and, vi- dis- and weirdly violent femmes. A lot of violent femmes. Great. Uh, all great music. Yeah. Yes. All great music. Agreed. Still, still love. Um, eh, not all. <laughs> right. Uh, but I still love violent films for sure. Sure. The, uh, and then yeah, you don't still, um, there's no way you still listen to Marilyn Manson. That there's not. Possible. No, I will. Some, no, I will sometimes listen to Nine Inch Nails because I'm well, like, this is very well produced. Trent <laughs> is an incredible gift, incredibly <laughs> gifted so artist. I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. So you were the kind of a uh, right. disaffected then, kid. Right. And then I had a friend uh, in my car start doing heroin and i was like oh i need to i need to change i need to have a new friend group now and he was like he like he like puked in my car and then and i was like okay well and like yeah and then like i um i was always like i've always been into uh money as score not anymore but like as a child i really was and like uh and so like that uh, led to me. I don't know. Oh, you were dealing drugs. You were dealing drugs uh, in high school. A little, a tiny bit. Pot. Yeah, you're just dealing pot. You were dealing pot in high school, which now is legal. So listen, yeah, don't who worry cares? about it. Yeah, but no, but but it, was, but, but it was really more about like making the money and doing something bad. Uh huh. You know, it wasn't about like paying bills or anything. It was really just a rebellion. It was like smoking pot isn't enough of a rebellion. Um. Yeah, yeah, now so, I have to so, do this so other we, thing. So like my, my group got harder and harder and the people who were selling me the drugs got more and more clear that they were like drug dealers. And like, that was scary. And I was like, oh, I need to get out of this situation where like, the, like I was starting to like, as a, as like a sophomore spend time with these like 26, 27 year olds who were like the people who were the, you know, the source of, uh-huh. it was like it was sort of trickling down to our friend group. Um, and I was like, oh, I need, I need out of this. And then I found in my uh, mostly senior year of high school, I found a group of people who were just about being goofy and caring about each other. And I never questioned how much they mattered and how much, like, ev- how much it mattered that they cared about me. And uh, I'm was so lucky. I was so lucky. I don't really know how I fell into that group, especially because like I was in like the honors classes. So like right. the kids that I was like hanging out with and doing drugs with were not the kids that I was going to well, school with. Well, this is what I was going to ask you. Did you know that you had uh, a sort of a crazy intellect? Like, were, were, was it clear to you even as you were fucking no, yourself up? No, did you no. know that you were an exceptionally bright person? Did your parents recognize that in you or try to tell that to you? I don't, like, I still don't believe in exceptional brightness. What I believe is that there are there are people who happen to be world born into a world that they are good at living in. Sure. Yes. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I was not exceptionally good at living in the world that I was in at that time. And I, you know, I did okay in school. I cheated plenty. Um, I was never good at, never particularly good at math. I'm, I still read slower than a ninth grader. I have a little, I have sensory integration problems and also probably ADHD though I wasn't diagnosed or anything. Yeah. And um and so like I I was like there were things I was good at and there were things that I was not good at. Like I I've always been pretty good at memorizing. I've been good at test taking, which is like that's such a particular skill, but I'm good yes. at test taking. Um 
And so like there was that, but I don't think that I ever sort of, I've never been that impressed with myself. Um, I don't really have that. Like I have confidence and I've, yeah. th- that's developed over time, but I'm still not like overly impressed with, with myself or my accomplishments. Well, people tend to devalue, um, you know, healthy. I, I, I think it's pretty, people who are good at talking devalue that as a skill. People who, you know what I mean? Because it comes easily sure. yeah, yeah. to them. All of it, all of it, yeah. I mean, that, so that makes sense to me that you would discount the verbal acuity because it's yeah. just something that exists for you and connecting mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. But also one must recognize that you have an exceptional gift with communication. Or do you think yeah. you just worked it? Or do you th- find that I you just it, grinded it? Did you just grind at it? I think it's a combi- I think it's gotta be a combination of both. It's like there, there is a uh, piece of it that is, like this is what we're finding more and more in this kind of research is that there's there's a piece of it that is um like it's it's basically genetic potential and that like if like is that going to come out and there's all kinds of tremendous environmental factors that determine whether it's going to come out but there's also lots of genetic other genetic factors that determine whether it's going to come out like if you are if you have like p- potential for tremendous verbal acuity but you have crippling anxiety then like you're not going to maybe find that if you have tremendous verbal acuity or potential for it and your parents just don't talk very much, then like you are, you know, you start out six months behind everybody else in school and everybody sort of assumes that you're six months behind your whole life. I think about that anxiety piece all the time because uh, meditation, the way in which meditation helped me break that down uh, is so great. And I say with, because it's so hard to be creative if anxiety keeps interrupting the flow of creativity when anxiety gets big, nothing else can happen up there. Mm-hmm. And so managing that stuff. So what was your dinner table conversation like? If uh, Because you are so you have such verbal acuity. Uh, uh, your parents must have either your parents spoke or your brother and you. Like, what was a typical dinner conversation like in, in your household? Were there dinners as a family or were there not dinners as a family? I mean, I have great parents, but I don't know that th- that I think that they would probably agree that we didn't have dinners as a family as often as everyone would have liked. Um, and, uh, you know, my parents were, are both, uh, accomplished people in their own worlds. And I think that like my mom and dad, both of them carry some guilt about how hard they worked during our childhoods. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they did a lot of great, very important work. Um, and also like, it's not like we turned out bad. So (laughs) what were their, what are their careers? Uh, my dad was uh, the Florida State Director of the Nature Conservancy during my childhood and then was in, in weirdly enough, real estate after that. Um, and my mom has been a community organizer of various kinds um, throughout throughout my whole life. She's a sociologist by training and, you know, just tried, just was, both of them were sort of in the, in the very um, difficult losing battle to uh, have Florida grow in healthier ways. Well, yeah, <laughs> incredible that you grew up in, in Orlando. Uh, yeah. You're a Florida, I mean, you are a Florida man, which is incredible, even sure, though you're yeah. not there, you know, in terms yeah. of like the Florida man meme. Um, <laughs> though one doesn't think of you when one thinks of the, <laughs> the Florida man yeah. uh, of that meme at all. Uh, so then what was it like though? So you, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, does that we, mean that you and John were there? Does that mean you and John were there alone a lot of the time and, and, mm. and just talking to each other? Um. Probably, though he went away to boarding school when I was pretty young. Right. So I was what? I mean, like 10, 11 when he went to boarding school. Um, so, so like there was, you know, that was a, a whole thing. Um, but, but I have always had great conversations with John and with my parents. And, you know, I, like I think that during high school, that transitioned me being an angsty teen to having great conversations with, people um like my age and that was uh and i uh, but and that has always been one of the chief joys of my life is like staying up late and talking to somebody and that that is something that i did with all of my friends at all of the levels and i like and i still really appreciate those people who like we were all making bad decisions together because we had so many of those conversations that like helped us understand the world better and um yeah and invaluable yeah Yeah. an invaluable thing and uh, and and what would you have said your ambitions were as you were, I would say two inflection points. Can you tell, what yep. would you have said your ambitions were as you were heading off to college? And then what mm. would you have said your ambitions were as you were leaving grad school? 
Like, how would you have defined your ambitions? And oh no, yeah, like I don't even have to like I don't have to think about this because I I was very specific about my ambitions when I got to college. So I had had this like great like set of uh, friendships at uh, my senior year, and I'd started to like read more and um, and and like I read the Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. And I was like, okay, well, this is pretty clear. Like there's, there's a character who's a biochemist in the book and he goes to Mars. And then over the course of like, you know, a lot of book, he basically fixes death. And so I was like, that sounds good. That's a good uh, sort of sure. like true, like two, two step plan. I go to yeah. Mars and fix death. And like, so I was definitely like uh, uh, imagining great things, I guess, at that point in my life. Um, so like putting myself in the, in the spot of protagonists of books and being like, what, what is possible? And I never like, I've, I've always been very good at like picking something and just doing it and not questioning it afterward. So I just, I just like powered through that biochemistry degree. And I like, um, that, that's when I started to feel like I was actually good at stuff because instead of like having people help, like help me copy their homework, which is what I did a lot in high school, I was helping people learn. So like people would like in yeah. study group would be like, I don't understand this thing in organic chemistry. And I'd be like, oh, well, you can look at it like this. And they're like, oh, and I was like, whoa, that was some dopamine right there. Holy, that felt real good. Yeah, it's a big, it is. It's a big hit, right? It was a big hit for you to see that thing happen. Yeah. And know you were part of it. So yeah. then, then you go to grad school. Yeah. And, and, and what happens as you come out of grad school? Um, at that point, I've completely t tempered my uh, expectations right. that I'm just trying to make a living and not doing great at it. I, you know, making twenty thousand dollars a year or something, and just sort of scraping by in Missoula, and with like four different jobs at the same time because I didn't like there was like I was freelancing, but I was also doing contract work. I was doing camera operation. I was just like all over the place doing whatever. Um, and what's your self talk? What's your self talk at that time? Like, is it just like, well, this is like. Like, are you thinking I have to find a path? As you said, you're someone I mean, who cared about the commercial prospect. Like, what's go yeah. what's going on in your head at 27 or whatever, 26, as you're starting to figure this out? I like, first of all, I have no idea. I don't. My, uh, I've always sort of uh, assumed myself to be, and the, the signs point to this that I'm just very men mentally stable. Like, as far as self talk, I don't. I'm not even sure what that is. Like I just do things, um, and only since my life got complicated has any of this gotten hard. Um, oh, and, that's fascinating. You mean you mean you didn't? You, you're you're earning twenty thousand dollars. You're out of grad school. You've said you tempered your expectations, but you didn't have neurosis or anxiety about it. Yeah, and I and I know this isn't. It, that's like, amazing you, to me. I've met I've met other people like that. Where it's just like, this will go, this will happen. And also for clarity, I had a safety net. Like I had my parents, they would have given me money if I needed money. You weren't going to start. And like, I didn't yep. have student, like I came out of school without student loans. I talk so about this like, all the time. I talk about this all the time. That was the biggest advantage yeah. for me in the world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so you didn't have student loans to take care of. So you could sort of float for a minute if you had to float. And when my brother asked me, like, do you want to start a video series? I was like... First of all, again, I'm good at just believing whatever is cool if somebody else tells me it is. Yes. Um, and he told me it was, so I believed him. And then uh, second, I, I had that ability to, to take that risk, which, you know, at that point was, was a little bit hard because I had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and I came out of grad school and this was before Obamacare. And so I literally couldn't, um, like, my, my, like, what I called my, my colon's rent Yes. It was like $500 a month. Yes. And that was like as much as my rent's rent. More than, actually, if you because I was I was had roommates at that point. Sure. Um and, and, the, and uh, was your was John famous at that point or had he had put the first had he put the first book out? I think yeah. there were two books out and one of them had done well. Um right. but I could be wrong. It may have But it was great. before Fault it was or, before or he became it yeah, was before yeah, Fault yeah. in My Stars. He hadn't become Yeah, and Paper Paper Towns hadn't wasn't out and Fault in My Stars wasn't out. Yeah. Right. So, but he was starting to become, he was starting to become an, an author who mattered. He had, he, he had, uh, so clearly there was a, there was a little bit of like, we, there's an, there's a small existing audience, mostly of librarians, right. Uh, who maybe will watch this 
And also maybe it will be good for John's book career. And I was like, right. and I don't know what the heck I'm doing because all of the like half-assed ways that I'm trying to scrape together money is working, but like not feeling like it has a direction to it. Sure. And and he wasn't a household name yet. Together, you kind, this oh, no. kind of yeah. happened. Yeah. So then as it starts taking off, is there a moment of clarity where you start making a plan? Because you said it's not just like you go and make videos. You have businesses and you've built and uh, you've you know had to give some thought to brand and all that stuff. So when does the analytical part start taking over? Or not taking over, but when does the analytical part get involved? Maybe uh, like early 2021. Like no. we, I've I've no, never come on. I've, <laughs> like it should have been a lot before that. Um, no, like, I, like my, my version of planning. So like, see, maybe you, of, by the way, now I think you need Gary V. Now I'm sorry. You actually need <laughs> Gary V. He can explain because like, he could really make this thing go. He could really make this Hank Green business go. But do I, I want that? <laughs> the question. No. And does my family and does my audience and does my right. brother. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, my version of, of a plan. So I, so like I sold the world's largest online video conference to Viacom three or four years ago. Right. And not because like I wanted to be, uh, not because I like wanted to like be a person who sold a company and have a bunch of money. It was because this was a very bad job. It was very hard. Ah. It was very stressful. Running conferences is really hard, especially in a world where there's a lots of drama and disagreement and people who very intentionally flaunt um, rules for content and just, and some of them are just mean and bad and I don't, yeah. So like it was a, it was a, and being the public facing CEO of that company was just rife with like constant disaster management, but lots of love also. Like I had so, like some of, so many of the best moments of my life has been, has been at VidCon and like, I, I love, I love it, love it, love it. And I'm excited to go back. It was just like, not the thing to be the CEO of, um, and, and, and so I'd already hired a CEO to run it, but I, like, I really sort of needed to get out of for like, both because I had other businesses and, and it was a, a very significant source of unmanageable stress, which is my, like, really, I'm fine with stress as long as there's something I can do to get rid of it. Sure. Um, like, as long as there's like a path out and there just wasn't a path out. So, um, so that company I started uh, by being like, I bet somebody's going to make an online video conference. And then I called my friend who had had me to her Harry Potter convention because I write Harry Potter songs. Wrote. Yes. It's, it's been a sure. while. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'd been to cons. I'd been to both like auto industry cons as a journalist and I'd been to, or like not con, but like, uh, you know, they're like shows. I, and I I'd been yeah. to, to like the fun, like fan con, fan con stuff. And I, so I wrote to Melissa and I was like, hey, could we start a VidCon? And she like wrote me back and she was like, here are the venues that I think we could have. And I like wrote her back and I was like, okay, I'm going to invite these 20 people. And that's how VidCon started. Like there was no planning. There was a little bit of this probably isn't going to last forever. This like online video thing, like this, this like I have an yeah. audience and it's paying my bills probably isn't going to last forever. So I should have a job. So, so that was a little bit little of bit sort of, of like trying to think about how to galvanize this thing to to yeah, and so it would be with me for longer because like we no one had any idea whether YouTube was going to be around in two years. But then it turned out you didn't dig it. Dig what? Running a con? Yeah, running the business. Well, in you the meantime, I started a bunch of other businesses that were also paying my bills, um, and so I didn't have to worry about that anymore. So I get, and I think that like, if I had dropped off out of the public eye, like if our audience had trailed off, like if the YouTube algorithm had turned against us or if YouTube had died and like gone the way of Vine, I would have kept yes. running VidCon and I would have been perfectly happy doing it because I wouldn't be like Hank Green. You can go comment on his videos when you're mad at him and have all of his audience be like, is Hank really bad? Like, I don't know. How bad is Hank? So I've never, I've never been a planner, but I am starting to be more of one because like when you have 50 employees, you, you must be. Yeah, because you have an obligation to them too. And that's yeah. additional obligations that come with all of this stuff. So I understand the self-talk. Uh, you're not somebody who has self-talk. And it, recently I read, which maybe it, that, that some people don't hear a voice in their head and some people do hear words in their head when they think. So maybe you don't hear words in your head when you think or Not something. as much. I, yeah, I mostly think in like clumps of, I think in like ideas that are clumped together. Yeah, I think in, yeah. I have a narrative. I have a narrative going. You know, everyone's different, yeah. but I have a narrative yeah. going all the time. 
Do you do anything like journaling or meditation or anything along along those lines? I make a YouTube video every week um, with on my on the Vlogbrothers channel with my with my brother. Now that goes public, and so it's a very different yes. experience than journaling. But I uh, and then I have my, I think my other version of that is just conversations that I have with my wife. And and no, you don't I, you don't I, meditate I don't. or anything like that. Do you exercise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do Pilates, which is like very specifically not about what my body looks like, but about how my body feels. Yeah, about how your body feels. Do you, does it help you get like clarity or no, you don't need that uh, for clarity? It definitely, I go in much like very crowded in here and I come out less crowded. All right, I just have brain. a couple questions from the women I mentioned earlier, like okay, yeah. uh, Rose and Ayana and Anna that I want to ask you because they are uh, uh, representative. So one of them said, uh, in talking about your book, the, the first book, you know, that it felt that you still feel this obligation to younger people. You're kind of like internet dad. And do you, uh, this, they said that clearly he wants to protect the kids and make the world better, but he also never lies to us about it. And <laughs> the question was kind of like, how do you think about that? Those two things like, wanting to encourage people in the world without bullshitting them about what they might be facing. I mean, I think that that's, that's very hard because different people are in different places. And so it's what rings true to one person isn't going to ring true for everybody. Yes. So you do have to, to some extent, pick the audience. And even if it's not conscious, like an, you, will, you will pick an audience because what you make will resonate more with some people than others. But um, that... Uh, figuring out the right balance when you're a 40 year old making content that's being consumed by teenagers and 22 year olds is like, it is something I don't talk about very much, but something I'm very careful about, something I think a lot about, something that I get feedback from other people about. Like I have people in my life and I like sort of like Peyton uh, is a young woman who helps me run my TikTok. And I'm like, Peyton, do you think like I've posted this and now I'm feeling weird about it. Do you think I've crossed a line? Do you think that I've like made it too much about like um, me as like a, a peer right. rather than me as a, you know, professor and you can be goofy, but like you do also like one, of, <laughs> I mean, one of the things is like, I want to be deeply non-sexual. Yes. Like, yes. Like you have to be actually. Yeah. 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 And like that is, and like, sometimes I'll post something and people will be like, wow, Hank looks super hot right now. And I'm like, taking that down. Right. Like, also send, not, I mean, you gotta I, send I, them, I will you gotta send them glasses the also, dude. I mean, come on, that's not, you gotta like do something for them, but yes. No, <laughs> yeah. But what I'm, what I'm getting from that isn't that I they actually think I'm hot. It's that I, I it's that they, they think I, I'm trying to look like I'm hot and I'm like, I know, nope, I, I want to take I, that away. I'm just, you can't serve. I mean, you know, you can't yeah. just let that hang. How am I going to let that but hang? Also, I don't know how you're looking at this face and saying I'm not hot. That's fair. That's fair too. I didn't say that. I just said, give them glasses. Maybe it's to cover, maybe it's sunglasses to cover from the incredible uh, thing that's coming. The radiance of my yeah, skin. The radiance of the, 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 or as my people would say, the punum. Um, so, uh, but uh, a couple of other things. So interestingly, this question, a couple of them had this, this notion and it was funny to me and I'm sure it will be to you because it's really revealing their relationship with you, which was, do you ever, the question to you is, do you ever find yourself getting nostalgic for the old iterations of your creative vision? Which of course they're, oh. which, which is interesting, right? Because they're nostalgic for who they were when they first interacted. But how right. do you, do you ever think about the innocence? I sometimes do the innocence of my first script. Like do, do, when this stuff was just a borning, uh, was there something in it, that thing that happens that you, mm -hmm. when you didn't have to ask somebody, hey, is this yeah. okay in a way? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In all of the ways, like the, the big thing that, that I try to remember um, is, like looking back at what I'm super nostalgic for, really what I'm nostalgic for is when this space was just people I knew. And also to some extent, just people who are like me. Yeah. You know, they have this, they're like, watch the same TV shows and they have the similar upbringings and they all got internet a little bit earlier than the average person. And, uh, and like, that's going to select for a certain type of person. And like, it felt a lot more comfortable when it was just people like me. And that's something that certainly I can feel nostalgic for, but it's not something that I can want to come back because really 
what, what that would be is what I would like is to deny a bunch of people access to this thing that I love, <laughs> which I do not want to do. Well, yeah, that was a question from my daughter was you kind of built this platform that has now become used for views that you'd find abhorrent yeah. and how you synthesize that. And I guess what you're saying is it's worth the, the, the price of eliminating those voices is too great. Well, I don't know. Like there's certain voices that I, I personally would, would, would remove from the platform Me too. That, yes. that YouTube doesn't. Um, uh, but, but, but the under, general I, question of you yeah. built this platform right. in a way. I do feel so like, so like the, the thing that happened there was for a long time, I had my identity tied up in the fact that I was a, a YouTuber and that YouTube was good. And then when um, YouTube started to be bad, my first instinct was, well, no, it's good. Uh, and like, I fought that for a little bit, but then it was like, well, no, I'm not a YouTuber. Like no, I'm, I'm gonna dis disentangle my identity from a platform that I have no control over, that it is a that is like kind of the place where I live, but is not a place where I have a vote. Like I, and for clarity, I actually probably have more of a vote than the average person. Cause like, I know people who work there and I can be like, hey, this is a problem and you should take it seriously. And, and YouTube does take the opinions of their employees pretty seriously because hiring employees is expensive. And also like, they want to maintain a good work culture. So like, uh, you know, but, but it's not like it's, it is very much that I do live in a autocracy yes. on these platforms. Um, and they are autocracies run by, uh, you know, a, a handful of people, if you count the board. And did um, you consider just launching your own, fully yeah. your own platform? I thought about it, uh, but I kind and I kind of did with Subbable, which was like part of my vision for Subbable was, which is, a, was a crowdfunding platform that got acquired by Patreon was, uh, First, we will be a way for people to like give their favorite creators money. Then we will become a place where all of the content will be and we will fix all of these problems that we see with YouTube. What I found in that process of trying to fix all those problems was actually their big reasons why they exist. Uh, they are very hard problems to solve. They are. And, and I think that that's not a bad place to end. There are hard problems to solve. <laughs> Right, there are hard I, problems. To I solve. say that to my employees all the time. Like we solve, this is what we do. We solve hard problems together. And and, and one of the things that I really think life is a hard problem to solve, and that yeah. you try to give people tools. And it, it does seem to me that there aren't um, that many forces for good on the internet, and you've consistently been a force for good on the internet, and that is an incredibly valuable thing to have out there. And even in my TikTok feed, when, and I am not your audience, but when <laughs> you come up on my TikTok feed, I'm happy because I, and I, you know, I, I laugh and you know, you're so hot. So I get to have that, you know, I get that yeah. moment, <laughs> but for myself during the course of the day, I, uh, but no, but uh, what I see is like, look at this. Uh, there's somebody out there kind of like fighting the fight and um, in an unrelenting, uh, positive way, man. And that's why I wanted to talk to you really. And, and, um, I just think it's wonderful that, that you do the thing that you do. And, um, and I, and, and that you're willing to also show people you're human, which is, I think also a value in, the, in having a conversation like this is, uh, you don't have to be a perfect human. You don't have to not want rewards mm -hmm. in order to do good. And a lot of us think that everything is a, some kind of Manichaean battle, and it's not. And, and you can do good without having to be only 100% one thing, right? Yeah, I think that that is, uh, it's hard now. I think it's harder for, it's harder for people who aren't me, frankly. I, like, I've seen it be much harder for um, women and, and people of color, and uh, even more especially women of color, where I'm just like, wow, can't you just let this person have a success without being like, uh, like, right. oh, I see it was all about X. I'm like, I mean, no, people are successful. Like, it's okay to, and, and like, let's be like for a moment, let's be happy for a person uh, because they were able to, you know, improve their lives, you know, and, and also we were all along with, with that path. Um, and I, yes. but I, I understand that a lot of that stuff comes from a place of, of hurt and, and disenfranchisement. But um, so like, but, but um, I am, uh, I am, working hard to be honest about who I am while also trying to be 
um, you know, better than the average, at least. Yeah, that's a, let's all work. Let's all be honest about who we are as we strive to be better than who we are. Yeah. 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 Right. That's great. Yeah. And I'm so, and I'm very lucky to have a bunch of people who are, who are holding me accountable to that. So I will keep trying to do that. Hank Green, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, this has been a great talk. Thanks for your presence on the internet. And I hope we get to talk again. You can find Hank on all social media. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on uh, Twitter. You can email me the moment bk at gmail.com. But listen, I am not going to send your letter on to, to Hank. So don't, 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 <laughs> I don't, I can't be responsible. I'm not, I'm not even going to read them because I don't want to cry. I'm going to delete them. I'm telling you that right now. All right, Hank Green, thanks so much, man. Thank you. 